No more copays. <laughs> this is Twyla Twang, uh, Sweethearts and Badasses of America on Ambion interview series. I do believe we have Miss Holly on the line. Hello there. Hey, howdy. <laughs> you know I love that song. Um, just a fun... <laughs> Yeah, it was so I'm many so funny glad lines. you do, you know. <laughs> so. I, I, I used to play with somebody, a, a great songwriter, and he would always tell me, you know, if you want to write a protest song, you have to make people laugh, you know, <laughs> and they'll listen. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and it's a nice do. protest against our health care system, and, man, if we could just have, you know, uh, no more co-pays. Uh, y'all, oh um, let me do a little intro because uh, folks just tuning in might not know. We're speaking with Miss Holly Montgomery. Uh, and, and this is, I'm so, so happy to have you with us today. Uh, what you heard before Englishman. Uh, so Englishman is, um, one of the funniest songs ever, uh, on her new album, Sorry for Nothing. And before that, we played a little Mustangs of the West. Uh, you haven't seen that part. I thought that kind of showcased a little more sweeter, vulnerable side. And, uh, then we started off at the top of the hour with Burn It Down. <sighs> Such such a powerful album, woman. I just love it. Just thank you so much for joining okay. us today. Oh, sure. My pleasure. You know, uh, you've been referred to as a Wonder Woman, and uh, I have to agree. <laughs> uh, sometimes they call y'all uh, triple threats. threats. I'd have to add maybe a quadruple threat, because not only are you a very talented instrumentalist, but piano, bass, guitar, trombone, uh, probably some others, great songwriter killer rock vocalist but you're also a mother and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, very very impressive uh, resume you have Um, and I know this talent that you have could not have appeared from thin air Um, I understand you come from a musical family yeah I do Um, both of my parents were musicians in their own way Um, it's funny because they were pretty much divorced by the time I was born but, you know, and, and I never lived with my father, but he was a classical piano player, you know, and um, went that route and uh, was very good. And my mother is like a country singer and guitar player. And, you know, when I was growing up, she 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 had her people that she played with and she did, you know, she she did her she did her gigs when she could, you know, when she could get away. So uh, it was just something that we did like amongst me and I, and my siblings, you know, we always, we would learn songs together and sing songs together and have special dances for different songs, you know, so it was just a really natural part of the way that, that I grew up. Yeah. yeah. All part of the, the family kind of culture of the family. I understand. Did you not have a, mm-hmm. you with your brother's band? I mean, your, your chop mm-hmm. started early. <laughs> yeah. You know, my, my brother, uh, Bucky, is a gosh you know he's so much so much more of a variety of varied artists than i am he's a great visual artist he's written a couple of novels and he's also a, a really great musician and so when we were teenagers he had he had a band with uh his friends and he's like almost five years older than me and and i just bugged him until he let me in the band so when i was 14 i joined dorothy boy and it's like a prog prog metal band and I mean we still have our stuff on YouTube and everything it's uh you know it's it's fun to look back at that I'm I I feel like all you know we rehearsed every single night and we were uh, trying to record everything we could and and you know it was a great introduction to 
you know, a work ethic in the music business with that band. It sets set you up for some, some uh, really great career in front of you. Uh, speaking of which, I'd like to jump into Sorry for Nothing. Um, okay. It, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in the reading, uh, it's quote-unquote uh, unapologetic authenticity, and I would agree, but I also think that's kind of an understatement. I, I would add anthemic, uh, empowering, you know, wow. beautiful uh, oh, cool. goddess is, is awaits and raw, intense, uh, the emotional range. I mean, you have the tenderness of For My Sons. It's just, just a um, really dense work you know, because it covers so much, and I really have enjoyed digging into it. I understand you had a hand in their production, yeah? Um, well, sort of, you know, for for this one, I really did want to take a back seat, you know. I I had sometimes in the past have overproduced myself, uh, but really for this one, I just gave the direction to um, the guitarist who was playing with me at the time and he's just a, a real genius musician and he I, I just let him I let him do it I've, I've overproduced myself too often and uh-huh. so we had we had some direction um, uh, when I when on the west coast with Mustangs of the West I met Dave Darling who's an incredible producer in his own right um, and he he was a big champion for my music and my songs, and he was the one who basically steered me in a, in a production direction, which I I passed on to Buddy, and and he made it made a great record out of it. Yeah. Certainly did. And uh, could you uh, talk about Buddy and the the players on the album and the team that you brought together for this? I think it includes uh, KZZ. As well, uh, KZZ is the, is the label that I'm signed to, and that's a newer so, one, right? Um, uh huh. So KZZ is um, a, they call it. It's a Blue Alarm imprint, so it's a division of Blue Alarm oh, okay. Records. So um, now KZZ, the Mustangs to the West, are also on on KZZ. So I'm on there, and along with the Mustangs. So um, yeah, they're they're really you know they're incredible. You know they're super super supportive and understanding about you know, how hard it is to as a mu- as a musician these days especially at, at, you know being a female over the age of 23 you know to be able to to be able to poke your head above the fray and, and get any kind of notice is really really hard and and KZZ has really pushed the record really hard and and um, you know I'm I can't, I'm I'm stunned sometimes at at my good fortune in finding them. You know. Well, they obviously. And, and go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, they know talent. They know talent, and I, I'd like to, in my little idealistic bubble, believe that talent prevails. Um. Mm, not yeah, necessarily. You know, uh, <laughs> it's just you know the the music business i mean some people i've heard it said you know you can you can agree or not i've heard it said that uh um mtv started i've heard i've heard this theory back that got it around that mtv was the start of the decline of uh music like in, in terms of the songwriting kind of music because it became it, it inextricably enmeshed in visuals uh-huh. you know 
And it's not like that before that there wasn't visuals, but with MTV, it was all, you know, it, something yeah. changed and, you know, so I don't know if that's true or not. I'm sure that it had a factor in it, but, you know, I can, um, I can these see. days it's, it, yeah. Yeah, I can see that uh, kind of image driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... that's I mean, I mean it, it's it's not like people in the 60s and 70s didn't have Im- an image. They did, but it, but it, um, it wasn't, it wasn't the overriding factor, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, you had to listen to it before you really necessarily knew or aware of the image. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I went digging a little bit, and like, it looks like you've been putting out records since, like, what, 09? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, when I, I moved to the East Coast from L.A., and when I was in L.A., I did a couple of self, self-released records, and, um, um, that was back when I was, uh, trying to be the next sound garden, you know, which I, I, which to me was a, was a great, um, uh, next step from Dorothy boy. I mean, really that was the first time, you know, I was in Dorothy boy. I got in that band when I was 14 and really it was my band in LA that, you know, I felt like, okay, I finally done something done my own project that i can say okay i'm i'm possibly getting better <laughs> you know <laughs> if that makes sense you know like i'm 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 progressing you know that's what, that's what it made me feel like and you well the progression really I, woman you you rock you are a true rock chick um always you uh, tell it like it is you how you feel no holes barred um and from, you know, like I said, the tenderness of that some of your music to the really all the, uh, well, hell, you've even played with Ice Cube. (laughs) Yeah, it was, yeah, that was a real fluke, you know. Um, I was in a band called uh, Big Planet in L.A., and and this was like in the earlier mid-90s. And what a great band that was. I'm still very sorry. I mean, we recorded a really great album produced by Jim Cregan from Rod Stewart, and it never got released. I'm still sad about that. But anyway, it's a great album. Oh, my gosh. In fact, that's the drummer who's now in the Mustangs. We were in that band together. But anyway, we were recording that album, and the engineer was doing a different album at night. And he said, hey, I'm engineering for this rap guy. And I didn't even, I didn't know, I didn't know his name. It was before he was a household name. And he said, do you want to come over? And, you know, they they haven't found the right bass player. And so, you know, I went to this session and for about two hours, they stood and sang bass lines in my ear and I I played bass lines and they sampled them. And that was the death certificate album, you know, (laughs) so... Just to add to your credits. I, I, I didn't know. I know. I didn't even know who they were. You know, I had to, <laughs> to go, go look it up after that. You know? and now, of course, household name. But definitely, you know, you have such a, a talent for variety, and and I just wonder with uh, you know punk and rock, country, Americana, and I. Well, what's what's on your current playlist? Like, what do you cook dinner to or uh, hang out? And um, if you're going to listen oh, to music, man. what's on your playlist? Oh, it's 
that is such a dangerous question to ask me <laughs> because I, I know that some of my friends are already laughing that you asked me that, you know, like, because I, I, you know, I tried for years to get people to listen to Disturbed because I love David Draymond's voice so much. And they're like, oh, it's too hard, blah, 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 blah. And then he did Sound of Silence and now everybody's like, oh my God, he has a great voice. Uh-huh. You know? So I was like, yes. I told you. Um, I love that band. <laughs> I love that band. I'm I'm a super, I know this is, this is like, this is, makes most people rightfully roll their eyes, but I love sea shanties. So I like to have taken like a deep dive into sea shanties these days. Um, I love I love this band and, and I got a friend of mine in England turned me on to this band called London Grammar and uh, I love that band so much I love their voice I love their production I love their songwriting um, that's like one of my favorite bands of the last few years I love Rival Sons um, so you know it's 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 uh, gosh I mean those, those are like some um, overall kind of categories, you know, is I I love that stuff. I love they all. What what I what I hear when I hear that all of those kind of music, all of that kind of music I just mentioned is I hear uh, people singing about real things, and I guess that's um, that's a little uh, broad and presumptuous of me but that's what it feels like to me yeah you know it's like uh, people singing about real things you know i mean in the in the sea shanties different tempos and things that they would that they would uh sing to corresponded to uh like like uh, raising the the mast on the ship <laughs> they had to do mm-hmm. it in at, a, at the right tempo so they sang along to it so they wouldn't screw up you know you know just things like that i i really really interested in, in that kind of a thing. Well, obviously your songwriting is is based in, in very real uh, reality uh, from experiences, life experiences, and that what I, I would say from my examination of your work in general, it's always been that way that uh, you're it's based in reality, it's how you feel, it's what's going on, it's everything from raw and tough to um, tender and sweet and uh, given that's kind of what I see as an overarching what I would call a theme in your work how would you say Sorry for Nothing differs from previous work? Um, I, I think the main the main difference is that you know I, I was persuaded or uh, that's, that's that's not the right word but I I, I wanted to have a different kind of sound on this album than other albums, and I would I, I made a vocal a vocal out front. It's a vocal out front album, you know. Where you know it's 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 sometimes a little disconcerting for me because I am a bass player, and nobody would listen to this album and go, "Oh my God, what a great bass player!" Nobody would, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's just the kind of everything the song and the story comes first on this record even on the rock and stuff the vocals are yeah. out front and they're mixed in a way that uh that were was meant to sound like that i was sitting next to you and singing it instead of across the room and on a stage mm-hmm. so that that's the that's the way i would say you know i i tried to um 
I tried to make a very personal, this is a very, I wanted this album to sound one-on-one instead of, you know, a rock band shouting at you. Yeah. <laughs> which I like too. Which I like too. That's cool too. Frankly, but yeah, but this, no. this is more intentionally but, uh, vocal forward. I, and, and I think I must say, I believe you accomplished that first. Definitely. Um, I know your nonprofit work is very important to you. And if you could talk about uh, some of the work that you do, including, I'd like to tie that into Kids Save and the genesis of your decision to adopt. Yeah, you know, I, 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 the older child adoption is something that I've championed and, and, you know, obviously I put, put my money where my mouth is and that way I adopted three older uh, children from Kazakhstan and when I say older children like a lot of times people think older child adoption means two or three years old and not a baby I'm talking about double digits mm-hmm. you know um, you know kids because once a kid gets to be three or four years old their odds of being adopted are just almost non-existent you know it's really really tough to get much less somebody who's 10 or 11 or 12 13 or 14 you know, I mean these sure. kids just don't have you know, so I, when I was still living in LA and, you know, trudging, trudging along in the bowels of a music business, I, uh, I, I heard a news segment about this organization called Kids Save that, that brings kids to the United States, um, kids from orphanages overseas into the United States for summer camp experiences and with the hope that possibly they'd need a family while they were here to, um, you know, adopt them and bring them into their family. And, you know, at the time, at that time, kids say it was in Eastern Europe, um, Russia and Kazakhstan. Um, now they're, now they're in Colombia. They're doing a program in Colombia. But so, you know, I, I hosted a couple of kids and then, you know, one, one day I, I was going through, it's, it seems, it seems so clinical, you know, but I was going through, um, a notebook of pictures and ran across the, the face of a kid and I was like, oh, this kid is deep. You know, let's bring him over. Because I was, I was volunteering for the organization and, and uh, helping them with that, you know, with the paperwork for the kids who were coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, long story short, he was the fourth one that I uh, hosted and he was the one I couldn't live without, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I got him, and just just before his tenth birthday, he came, and I had to go to Kazakhstan and get him, and that that was an ordeal. And but and while I was in the orphanage, I I met two of his friends there, and a, a couple of years later, I mean, I tried advocating to get someone to consider them, but they were even older than him, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and this was not a cheap thing to do, and. I was like trying to get somebody to advocate for them because I was still paying off the last one. Yeah. Know? And, uh, and, uh, but it, it's, I ended up getting a sponsor for a lot of the expenses. And so I went back like two and a half years later and got them. And he was, Jesse was 13 and, uh, Rena was 15 when I got them out of the orphanage in Kazakhstan. She was three months, wait, six months, six months from, you know, once you reach 16, you can't be internationally adopted anymore. Oh. So we got around, you know, they're pride. I mean, I feel like I got really, really lucky. They're really great people. I just can't imagine life without them, you know. And I, and you just don't hear enough of those stories. You only hear the stories of the of the bad adoption experiences. But 
but, but really most most of them a, a goodly percentage of them you know 80 percent are positive you know are positive the things go well you know awesome so. yeah that's the ones we want to hear about and know about and know exist and maybe encourage others how are those boys well they're not boys they're young men now uh, right. How are they so doing? Two, two boys and a girl. Oh my gosh, great! Uh, my daughter has been in the American Army now for 15 years. She did two tours of Iraq. Um, she's a sergeant first class. She's just she's done very well. She's lived all over the world, you know, with her job in the army. And uh, now, right now, she is uh, uh, one of the people that runs the ROTC program at. Uh, is it Southern Georgia or Georgia Southern? I always get it backwards. University mm-hmm. in Statesboro, Georgia. And uh, my son, Ari, is um, he got a degree in business management and a minor in economics. And he works for an executive headhunting company, and he lives in Boston. So he's doing great. He's getting married this year. I can't wait. It's going to be wow. like nothing is as good as that. You know, none, none of this music business is as good as, as that. <laughs> yes. Very, very good. Yeah, imagine how gratifying. They're doing great. Yeah, awesome. they're doing great. You know, they're my pride and joy. Awesome. We uh, lost, of course, Christine McVie last week. And oh. I I just had a sense, and this might be kind of an off-the-wall off question, but you're both powerful women, um, keyboard players, vocalists, songwriters, did, do you have any special connection with Christine McVie? I know, uh, you know, John, the bass player, you referenced him in oh, a couple yeah. articles. Uh, Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac in general, you're kind of of that era as well. Well, sort of. You're a little older than me. <laughs> but, maybe, but listening to them. At least like, I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it's, any, I feel like anybody that says, anybody that lives in the Western world who has ever turned on the radio, if, if anybody, if any of those people say that they're not influenced by Fleetwood Mac, then they're either lying or they're just ignorant. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just yeah. impossible not to be, it's impossible. Yes. And everybody has their thing, you know, like sometimes people will come to my gigs and go, play something by Stevie Nicks. And then you know that they're the Stevie Nicks variety. And then some people will come and say, play something by Fleetwood Mac. Then I know that I can do a Christine McVie or a you know or a Lindsey Buckingham. You know mm-hmm. it's interesting how that that works. But I mean to me, Christine McVie was a, a really really great solid songwriter. Um, and I, I just you know I mean I grew up watching her and listening to her, and, and there's just no way that I could uh, that I could not be influenced by her. Certainly, yeah. That's mm-hmm. I had to put that together. Well, dang it, we are running out of time. Um, I want to make sure that folks, first of all, know how to follow you and get in touch with you. And then I also would like you to set up All or Nothing because that is the album opener and that is what we're going to close mm-hmm. with because it is uh, bleh, so powerful. And uh, I would love folks to understand it before we hear it and also make sure they stay in touch with you. Uh, okay, well, thank you. Um, uh, they can stay in touch with me at hollymontgomerymusic.com or, uh, you know, Facebook is my page of Holly Montgomery Music and same with Instagram, Holly Montgomery Music. So I would love to hear from anybody. Awesome. And, uh, you know, you can find me on on Spotify or, or any of the other streaming platforms that actually pay musicians. 
Um, you can find me at any of those. Um, so I would love to hear from anybody. Uh, now about this song, you know, I wrote this song when I was going through a particularly rough time. And, and you know, I've always had a problem with people trying to write chipper songs. You know, uh-huh. like hope for the future, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay, all right, we need hopeful songs. But, you know, I mean, when when I'm in the midst of feeling depressed, people that try to tell me to buck up it oh. pisses me off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's annoying. It doesn't help. It makes it worse. Some, sometimes I feel like it's important to know that people, people go through the same uh, depression that you do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I was super, I was having a really, I was really, really feeling pretty, uh, pretty burned out and, uh, when I wrote that song and, you know, um, I, I never thought that it would be anything anybody would want to listen to because it's pretty darn, uh, you know, it's pretty darn nihilistic and a lot of, you know, but, you know, I wrote it. I felt better after I wrote it and I uh, recorded it and I, it got me a record deal. So. <laughs> oh, that, that song was, was one of the pivotal. Yeah, it that's, was the pivotal song. That's that so cool. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I agree. I tend to, um, I, that cathartic feeling that you have when you hear something that uh, reflects what you're going through, especially when it's a tough time. I mean, anybody can, you know, bop along to, you know, be happy and you know, blah, 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 like you said. Right. But there's something that just, yeah. I think, that connects us more deeply when we uh, tune into that, those struggles that we all share and when when your struggles mm-hmm. are shared and you know oh man they're going through the same thing it yeah. it, it does it feels better right. beautiful song right. um well, thank you so much woman we're gonna stay in touch and make sure that if you ever get out to the midwest i know you go up and down the mid-atlantic and you cross over plenty of times over to the west coast with mm-hmm. your work there uh if you ever land yeah. yourself in the midwest make sure you find us and uh come on by or we'll get to a show and hang out I would love it. Thank you so awesome. much for having me. Today. Thanks for having. Thanks for being our guest today. And y'all, <laughs> here is this is Holly Montgomery's "All for Nothing." <laughs> 